the National Concert Hall is delighted to announce its new concert season for 24-25, featuring over 60 concerts by world-class artists. Enjoy the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra with Sir Simon Rattle, our very own National Symphony Orchestra and guests, opera favourites with Tara Erocht, cutting-edge music with Bryce Desner, family concerts and lots more. Your music, your National Concert Hall. Book now. Package discounts available. cnch.ie It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This podcast is brought to you by Safe Ireland and Airbnb, working in partnership to support domestic violence survivors across Ireland. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Today, we're going to be hearing about a mini documentary series from the Irish Youth Foundation, presented by May Kay, formerly of Fight Like Apes and presenter with other voices. A Stitch in Time, which you can see on the Youth Foundation's website, highlights how damaging the pandemic has been for younger people in disadvantaged communities, people such as young traveller woman Ellen, who spoke to May Kay about her hopes and dreams. It's basically like you're an outcast, you know, because like usually you hear all bad stuff about travellers and then like they'll all paint you with one brush. She's a traveller. Like, oh, she must have did this, she must have did that. You get travellers now that get married at a young age, I wouldn't do that. You get travellers that leave school, I wouldn't do that. You have your whole life ahead of you. Why not just like explore it? Like, because like not many traveller people do that, you know? Some traveller people are like, they're not like, they're not allowed to go to college. They'll have to get married. Like my mother and my father, they're like, um, Ellen, go see your life. We're not going to force you to do anything. You don't have to get married if you don't want them. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I don't want to get married. So we'll be hearing from Ellen Maykay and a brilliant youth worker called Susie in a moment. Um, but I just want to mention a few things first. We had some sad news this week. The brilliant and pioneering Irish Times journalist Mary Marr died a couple of days ago. And Mary is one of those Irish Times women who paved the way for so many of us and was instrumental in changing Irish society for the better. The National Union of Journalists Irish Secretary Seamus Dooley said uh, when she got her NUJ Member of Honour a few years ago in, well, 2014 actually, he said that her career has been marked by a number of firsts, records set and broken, glass ceilings smashed by dint of hard work, determination, good humour and dedication to her union. And just reading from her uh, obituary that was in the Irish Times this week, in the early Irish Times days, Mary Marr became the first woman's editor in Ireland of a section that refused to follow the norm of treating cooking, buying clothes and homemaking as the only concerns for women. It was originally suggested by a former Irish Times editor, Donal Foley, in the pub, the idea of women first. And the idea was, why not a women's page with serious articles, scathing social attacks and biting satire? And Mary Marr described the task as combining the real reporter bit with a concentrated focus on the wrongs of women, plus useful factual information for the women whose work happened to be running a home. There were articles on censorship, slum property, the housing shortage, the class bias of education, the exploitation of factory girls and also issues around challenging the unions to take up equal pay. The other Irish dailies followed suit and within months started their own women's pages. And Mary Marr explained that when the Irish women's liberation movement burst on the scene in 1969, the women's pages became a forum that would otherwise not have been there. 
And she didn't want to be remembered for that movement only, although she was a key founder member. She joked about missing the famous Belfast contraceptive train because she had just given birth. Of course, as well, the late author and dear friend Maeve Binchy, who succeeded Marr as women's editor, recalled Mary Maher from Chicago had the great advantage of not knowing the sacred cows. And by the time she did know, she had enough courage not to care about them. So I'm just thinking of Mary and all her friends and family, a woman who was lucky enough not to know the Irish sacred cows. And then when it came to slaughtering them and tearing them down, she had no issue doing it. That's a lovely tribute from Maeve Benchy and from everyone on the women's podcast. As I said, we're thinking about Mary's friends and family today and just reflecting on someone who was a pioneering woman and a trailblazer. I also want to mention a couple of international political developments which cheered us this week. In Sweden, their first female prime minister, Magdalena Andersson has been reappointed to the top job after political turmoil forced her to resign within hours of taking the post last week. So Magdalena Andersson is going to attempt to lead a one party government until an election in September next year. She stood down as prime minister last Wednesday after her coalition collapsed. But at a news conference after she was reappointed, Miss Andersson said she was ready to take Sweden forward with a programme focused on welfare climate change and crime. Now, without the support of other parties, she's going to struggle to pass legislation in Parliament where the centre-left Democrats hold 100 of the 349 seats. But it's still good news. Sweden has a woman prime minister for the very first time. And in another interesting international political development, Barbados. In Barbados, Rihanna has been declared a national hero as the country celebrates its transition to an independent republic. The country's Prime Minister, Mia Motley, at the investiture ceremony for the pop singer said, may you continue to shine like a diamond. Uh, She was talking about the fashion icon and entrepreneur in reference to her 2012 hit Diamonds. Rihanna is Barbados's most famous citizen and in 2018 was appointed an official ambassador for culture and youth. Uh, She's never softened her Bajan accent and her music, while tapping into pop, R&B and dance music, has remained connected to her Caribbean heritage. And Mia Motley, who is again the the woman prime minister of um, Barbados, She said that the imagination of the world through the pursuit of excellence with her creativity, her discipline and above all else, her extraordinary commitment to the land of her birth. And she added, on behalf of a grateful nation, but an even prouder people, we therefore present to you the designee for a national hero of Barbados, Ambassador Robin Rihanna Fenty. So that's great news for Rihanna and great for Barbados as well, which has ended 400 years of British rule. I want to tell you about a movie as well, a movie called Writing with Fire, which is a new documentary about Kabir Laharia. And Kabir Laharia is India's only all-women news organisation. It's based in Uttar Pradesh in India and its journalists passionately believe in reporting rural issues through a feminist lens. There was a great piece about them in The Guardian where the reporter said that what makes Kabir Laharia's success even more stunning is that most of its journalists uh, are Dalits, which is the lowest status in India's caste hierarchy. And their situation is especially dire in rural areas where the organisation opened in 2002 and it began as a temporary project funded by an NGO to train women in a village to write a newsletter. The idea was that their voices were missing from mainstream media. What might their stories look like if someone bothered to pay attention? So when the funding ended, the organisation lived on. And it's just incredible to see how something that began as women writing a newsletter is now the subject of a documentary, Writing with Fire. It was filmed over five years and their film features quite upsetting interviews with victims of violence. But it's also an inspiring portrait of a team of exceptionally talented and committed women. And the women do sound incredible. So I just wanted to tell you about that and about the fact that we're going to try and get them on the podcast in the new year. Groundbreaking stuff there from India. 
Also, a bit closer to home, groundbreaking and record-breaking, the amazing women's football team this week just played a blinder. The Republic of Ireland team secured a remarkable 11-0 victory over Georgia in their World Cup qualifier at Tallis Stadium. Denise O'Sullivan had a 17-minute hat-trick either side of the break, while Katie McCabe got a brace of goals in a convincing victory over the group's lowest-ranked side. And there were goals for Kira Carusa, Lucy Quinn, Saoirse Noonan, Amber Barish, Megan Connolly, as well as an own goal. And Ireland kept their World Cup qualification hopes very much alive. And actually, 11-0 is the biggest ever win by an Irish senior team, male or female. The best the men ever managed was an 8-0 victory over Malta in 1983. So congratulations to the women of the Irish soccer team. That is just fantastic. Now, I'm going to introduce today's episode, which I really think is important uh, in terms of hearing young people's voices, especially at this really challenging time. Imagine for a minute growing up with gangland violence on your doorstep or in a home with addiction, overcrowding, isolation or poverty. Fast forward 14 months, 18 months and three lockdowns. Remove social spaces, shut down the projects you love and cut off from maybe the positive person in a youth centre that backs you no matter what. And for children and young people living with this reality, the pandemic has been nothing short of catastrophic. So looking at this subject, um, the Irish Youth Foundation uh, with May Kay Geraghty as presenter have been travelling between Waterford, Limerick and Dublin, interviewing young people and youth workers to hear more about how awful it was when those young people couldn't access the youth services and just to hear about how vital those services are in their daily lives. These effects on these young people that the pandemic has had are going to be felt for years to come. And as the country reopens, we thought it was really important that these voices are heard and that young people are given the resources they need to get their lives back on track. So we wanted to talk about the four-part documentary. The first episode went online in October and those episodes are available to watch back now on the Irish Youth Foundation's website. They're only about 10 minutes long each and they're really worth your time. So we had three people on to talk about the series, which is called A Stitch in Time. As I mentioned, May Kay Geraghty, she's an Irish musician and presenter who was the front woman of Fight Like Apes and also La Galaxy and presenter on Other Voices, which has just celebrated its 20th year in Dingle. I'm raging, I miss that. Uh, so she's hosting the mini documentary series for the Irish Youth Foundation. We also had Susie Cronin, who's a youth work team lead at South Hill Hub in Limerick, a brilliant place which is doing such wonderful work. She featured in episode three. And Ellen Burke, a young woman in Waterford who's part of the travelling community. She features in episode two. Ellen left school during COVID to help her mother at home who was sick. And the Waterford and Tipperary Youth Service helped her out and put her on an employability scheme. And now she is on track to fulfilling her dreams of becoming a beautician and business owner. So it's a conversation about the voices of young people at a really, really difficult time. Here they are, Ellen, Susie and Maykay. May Kay, delighted to have you on the Women's Podcast. Obviously, your mum is a co-host, so there's a slight bit of nepotism here. But honestly, we would have you on anyway, even if you're not related to Cathy Sheridan. But tell us about Stitch in Time, this wonderful mini documentary series that you've been presenting. So it's good to get ahead of the nepotism question. I'm glad that you're the one doing the interview in case this turned into a roast by my mum. So I'm glad it's Roisin doing it. So Stitch in Time, yeah, it's a docuseries commissioned by the Irish Youth Foundation. And I am just very honoured to have been asked would I present the show. I I guess in terms of my background, there was no reason for me to be an obvious choice for this in terms of my own personal background. But I suppose what they wanted was, it took a bit of convincing. I mean, I said yes immediately to being involved. But um, I suppose Dave O'Carroll that asked me to do it just kind of explained that he wanted... I always think he's trying to find a way of saying unpolished, but that can be a little bit offensive, I think. <laughs> but but um, I think someone that he knew would be genuinely interested, would genuinely want to know the answers to the questions I had. Um, and I suppose is used to meeting very different types of people, which I am from from my work. So, And then I met Sarah Edmonds from the Irish Youth Foundation, who... She could have asked me, was I interested in jumping in a puddle of mud for her entertainment? And I would have said yes, because she's such an amazing woman. And you can tell from Sarah immediately that you're in safe hands. I'd had no experience with the Irish Youth Foundation previously, but they're so obviously an amazing bunch of people. And what they were wanting to do made so much sense to me. And the whole idea being that 
you know, they're working day in, day out to provide support for that amazing youth worker network that's already in place. But I suppose what people weren't realising is how rough the past two years had made that job and the job of Susie and the other youth workers around Ireland. So it was an absolute immediate yes to be involved. And it's been a pretty incredible experience. I imagine um, it's been quite an eye opening experience for you. And just wondering about what would be the things you would say generally the impact of the pandemic on those young people that you spoke to? What, what would be some of the main things that stood out? Well, that's something I'm just so grateful to have had the time to do with the crew that we had. I suppose a lot of the work that I do is very immediate. It's like three, two, one, you're live. Whereas with this, we got to spend, with the exception of Limerick, unfortunately, because I went and broke my ankle um, beforehand. Uh, so I couldn't go to Limerick. But, you know, in the Greek Street Flats I, and the Just Ask uh, After School Club there, I got to spend the day there, which was really important because Chloe and Olivia that you see in episode one, it obviously took them a little minute to warm up. And that was really important because a big problem they've had, as they say in it, is that they found it really hard to communicate with people. Um, they've lost a lot of the skills that they work really hard at improving and that they, the youth workers work, work really hard at helping them with some social skills that they kind of maybe felt they weren't, didn't have the same skills as other young people had. And now their confidence has taken an absolute battering and and they and they they didn't have a load of it to begin with in in lots of ways. You'll also see in the episodes they have an abundance of confidence and and other skills that a lot of other young people don't have. But just in terms of what we we provide as a society, they've been you know there've been so many extra obstacles put in front of them in the last couple of years. And I'm not going to talk any more about that because I suppose I'm not the one that knows. I'll, I'll let um, I'll let Susie talk more and Ellen talk more about that. Yeah, well, just before you go, though, I th- was really struck by the, the talking to the three girls who didn't want to be identified and talking about the kind of the importance of these youth centres as a space for them to be. And when that was taken away, you know, the things that come in to replace that. And they were so honest about it. And it was I think it was a really important part of that episode. What did you take from that? Well, I just took from it again how much they trust that hub in South Hill. I can't get over if they were really, really worried, if they had an ounce of doubt in their minds or an ounce of distrust in their minds of the youth workers in the South Hill hub or of the Irish Youth Foundation, they wouldn't have opened their mouths where they really obviously trusted that they were being protected and they really wanted to talk as well was my impression they're so aware that's I think it was so startling hearing Ellen's voice on the Claire Byrne show last week even though I knew she was going to be on it but we never hear a young person talking about their own issues and their own things and their own dreams and hopes we, we hear people who've never experienced that talking about it which makes no sense so that's what I've taken away from the whole thing really I feel like an Egypt that I've never um I've never questioned that too heavily before why we're not hearing young people and youth workers more so I'm really kind of relieved in a way that hopefully things are changing a little bit in that respect. Mm. Well, we're delighted to have you on for that reason. And like you said, it's uh, it's the people who are on the ground doing the work. And I want to bring you in, Susie, there, because Mayke mentioned um, that you're the team lead in South Hill. So first of all, tell us a little bit about it, um, what kind of place it is and what services you provide for teenagers and young people. Well, I suppose the South Hill Hub is a community centre based in the heart of O'Malley Park in Limerick, so South Hill, so it covers uh, a vast area on the south side of the city. And we provide a lot of services. You know, it's there's a community cafe, there's services for like adult education. Um, other organisations use our space as well, so they rent space from the from the centre, etc. And then there's the Youth Work Project, which is, I suppose, um, a core piece of the work that we provide. And... Um, you know, we work with seven to 25 year olds, which is quite broad, really, to be honest. And we, I suppose, do a bit of everything. It's really just responding to what young people need, um, Roisin, you know, and I suppose that changes dramatically. There's always like core kind of uh, needs for young people. And then there's the individual stuff that everyone needs. And, you know, every teenager has a need like you know it's about education it's about finding out new things it's a safe space you know and that's really what we we try to provide. So tell me then about how your services were disrupted during the pandemic what what happened to you I mean presumably you had to close straight away. Yeah so like we all know that first time Covid came around it was very scary 
um, no one really knew what was going on. And I, I know I said that as well in the video, um, but it's I suppose it was very apparent that we had no idea what was going to happen. Um, a global pandemic. I mean, who could have thought it? You know, so initially we had to close the doors because we had to try and keep everyone safe. But then instantly it was we were online then trying to kind of, I suppose, get in touch with families, get in touch with young people individually, make sure that they were like being safe and how they could be safe. And then what we could do to try and continue to support them. Um, and a big part of that was moving our services online and providing space in a virtual world. Um, you know, and that was tricky for us then because that was something we'd nearly always tried to avoid. It's like, you know, you're going on all the time about screen time and come off your phones now. We're going to talk. We're going to engage with each other. And then straight away, we're like, OK, so if everyone could get on their phone and we can arrange this, this will be super. So in fairness, the youth work team were kind of um, thrown into the deep end as well. And a lot of youth workers would say that, you know, um, so it was great that we could respond, but it was a challenge. The new Safe Ireland Survivor Fund, in partnership with Airbnb, enables Safe Ireland to contribute to sustainable supports for women and frontline services and to provide focused actions for children. You can play a critical role in helping to protect more women and children from abuse. Donate directly to your local domestic violence service or to the national work of Safe Ireland. Go to www.safeireland.ie for more information. The National Concert Hall is delighted to announce its new concert season for 24-25, featuring over 60 concerts by world-class artists. Enjoy the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra with Sir Simon Rattle, our very own National Symphony Orchestra and guests, opera favourites with Tara Erocht, cutting-edge music with Bryce Desner, family concerts and lots more. Your music, your National Concert Hall. Book now. Package discounts available. cnch.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk a bit about the impact on, on the young people, because as I mentioned there to make about those three teenage girls in Limerick who wanted to remain anonymous, they were absolutely brilliant. I was really struck by everything they said. They were really honest. They said some of their friends had turned into winos and were, they were doing things that they shouldn't be doing because there was nowhere else for them to go. They also said really interesting things about school, how I found that fascinating that they were told to go home and do their schooling at home. But obviously it's a different experience. And then when they went back into school, when things opened up, they found they couldn't almost must um, get to grips with the real life teaching again after having been able to sit and kind of doss a bit, I suppose, at home and not really pay attention. So all the things they said were really interesting. What are you, what are your take on on the impacts for the young people that you serve and you help? I definitely see the there's a huge, huge need for mental health services and it's continuing to get more and more apparent for young people. Um, you know, it might have been like someone might have been a bit anxious before COVID. That now that slight bit of anxiety has turned into complete social anxiety where they're kind of uncomfortable being around other peers or if they're not with their immediate circle, they don't know. Like Maka, you were saying about the girls in Dublin, the communication. They don't know how to communicate with each other. Um very poor coping skills we're seeing. You know, we're seeing a huge amount of risky behaviours. And the girls spoke so honestly about how that is. I mean, as a youth worker, we are exposed to that kind of stuff. And we are aware and we always try and, you know, give the right information and make sure people are staying safe. Um, but I just, it was really important for them to be able to say that and for other people to realise that that's actually the reality of young people's lives. And not, not every young person, but a lot of young people, you know, so I thought that was very courageous of them. And again, you know, I, I can speak on behalf and I can advocate for young people, but there's nothing like hearing it from their own voices. That's why it's so important that Ellen is here this morning. So, um, you know, it's it's just great that we can. Um, and then moving on from that, the school space, 
really difficult as well because you know initially they were just sent home with a few books there was no online schooling then that changed then they had to apply themselves but by the time they had to apply themselves they were in a different space their routines were all out I mean you know like they were staying up all night they were asleep for half the day you know it was very difficult I mean you're talking about everyone being at home all of the time it was very, very difficult. Um, so, like, even if you had space in the house, it was hard to be stuck looking at the same people all day, let alone if you're sharing a bedroom with your siblings or, you know, the house is slightly overcrowded. That's really, really difficult. And then you couldn't be on the roads um, because you, you weren't supposed to, like, mingle with your friends or be out with them. Then when restrictions eased and you could go out, there was nowhere for them to go. All the chippers, you couldn't go in and sit down and have chips anywhere. You had to get takeaway. When they were outside the chippers, they wouldn't be moved on because it was a gang like, and people were walking in to collect their takeaways. Then there was like, if you're outside in the community, you're sitting outside someone's house. It's nearly seen as lightering or like antisocial behaviour. So they really, really struggled. There was no space where they could just be with each other. Um, and I think that's really, really the essence of it. Like they couldn't be around their peers and then those relationships, they kind of broke down, do you know? So there was a huge part of that. And Susie, you spoke very well as well about uh, looking at the long term effects. And we might come back to that later. But I want to bring in Ellen, as you mentioned there. And Ellen, you appear in episode two and you're kind of famous now at this stage, because as May Kay mentioned, you've already been on Claire Byrne. So, you know, we're only coming in the haveny place. But um, tell us about when you started going to the youth centre in Woodstown in Waterford and what impact that had on your life? The first time I ever went there, I was with Declan and I started this programme called Corla, Corla Nanog. And it was just different because I just never goes nowhere. And I just know it's good out of crack because when you're at home doing nothing, you know, like probably the next day you're off to Woodstown. What was your life like um, in terms of before you were, got into that old youth centre thing? What were oh, you doing? like... I just wake up in the mornings, go to school, come home, clean. That's it. Literally, that was it. Like, I wouldn't even go into town because, like, I don't know. Probably go to my nanny's house just before I met Declan and everything like that. Like, I just, I went nowhere. Which I'm saying, oh, yeah, I went this place, I went that place. I just went nowhere. Nowhere. You spoke really well to, to May Kay in the um, documentary about kind of the acceptance that you felt. So when you started to go and meet all these new people, uh, you felt like sort of a belonging that perhaps you hadn't felt before. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, when I start, like, going, I was, like, wicked nervous. Like, I didn't know what to say. Because no once you get used to them, I'm telling you, they're not, like, they're nice. And, like, I'm just like, wow. And then, like, you like, you don't get judged. Which I'm saying, oh, yeah, I get judged. You absolutely don't. Like, like you're one of them. Do you get me? Like, you don't feel like, oh, we're different. You actually don't feel different because, like, if I felt different, or if I felt like I was getting treated different, I'd stop going. But I've been there for years. Oh, I just love it. I really do. Can you tell me a bit about that difference? Because I suppose um, that might be something that you felt before, just growing up, being a member of the travelling community. Tell me about what that felt like, uh, and, and was there a sense of being an outsider? Yeah, like, um, sometimes. Like, even up to this day now, me and my sister could be walking downtown, and you know if, like, if we see like non-travellers that we know very well, well, we would stop talking until we walk past them. Do you get me? Like, we would literally stop having our conversation just to walk past them. Like, we wouldn't talk or nothing. And then we walk past them, we have our own conversation. Like, there's some now, don't get me wrong, there is some non-travellers out there that don't like travellers. And I understand that, I understand that. But, like, I just wish... Like, they didn't see us all as one person. Do you get me? Because, like, if we were all one person, the world would be boring. It'd be so boring. So, like, I don't know, we're all different in our own ways, you know? Tell me about um, stopping your conversation. Just explain why that is. Oh, because, like, do you know, like, me and my sister, we have, like, it could be a serious conversation. It could be, like, a funny conversation. But not if we see, like, non-travellers coming up, like, country people. We call them country people. So if we saw country people coming up, like, we'll say, oh, stalak, till we just pass them. Like, stalak means, like, stop talking. Like, do you know, like, stall, just stop. And then, so we'd stop talking, because, like, they'll just, like, look at you. What's this, like, what are you talking about? Do you get me? Because it happened to us before. Ever since one incident happened, whenever me and my sister goes downtown, if we walk past somebody we know, like, 
country person wise, we would literally stop talking. We wouldn't talk walking past them. Because you don't want them to hear your voices or what exactly? I'm trying to get to the... I don't know, because like, the kind of stuff, like, because we could be talking about, like, um, like my brother and his girlfriend, they live in a trailer because they're trying for a house. They've been in a trailer for the past four years. And so, no house. so we could be talking about, like, um, oh, like, it's a sin the way they're living in the trailer now and they can't get a house. And then if we're talking about stuff like that, we'd literally stop talking. Like, I remember me and Declan were going downtown because I had some kind of meeting one day and there was a group of country people walking past us and I literally turned around to Declan and I said, Declan, stop talking. He's like, what? Why? I was like, no, just one minute. Then literally two of us was silent. We are walking, they walked past. Declan's like, Ellen, um, why did you want to stop talking? I was like, no, we just had to wait till them people walked past. Like, Declan's like, what? You shouldn't have to stop yourself from talking whenever you pass people. I was like, I know, I know. He's like, no, and you still have your conversation. You know, like, he's very, very, like, supportive. Like, he'd say, no, you shouldn't stop talking when you're passing people. Like, if you're having a conversation, have it. Do you get me? Like, he's really, yeah. really nice. So, Ellen, it's that sense that you just being yourself, talking about the stuff that's important to you is somehow going to be uh, something that other people won't like or other people will comment on. So you have oh, to yeah. almost silence yourself and stop yourself from yeah. expressing yourself in your normal way. It isn't right. Tell me more about this Declan character. He sounds incredible. And we, you talk about him a lot in the documentary. No, <laughs> Declan is lovely. Declan is actually nice because like, to know, like he's a countryman. Like he's, he's not a traveller. Sorry if I say countryman a lot. But, like, it's okay. He's a non-traveller. But like, it's nice to have someone like Declan in your life because it's just like, you see, like he's the reason why I actually see things different. Because, like, if I never knew Declan, I wouldn't even be here right now. I'd probably be on the dole. Now, that's, that's a promise. I'd actually be on the dole. <laughs> no, Declan, like, when, whatever's wrong, you just ring Declan. And I'd ring Declan. I'd be like, Declan, come on, tell me more about this. <laughs> and stuff like so that. So he works in the youth centre and that's where you've, you know, you've had a lot of great experiences. But COVID was particularly difficult for you as it was for everybody. But your mum got sick. She was being in and out of hospital. Yeah. You were kind of left to carry the can at home a bit. I mean, you were, you were doing the cooking, the cleaning, looking after your sisters. Tell us about that and how you coped. So like um, when like my mother was like, Ever since her mother passed away, she's like, she's going downhill. Do you get me? But like, when COVID hit, that's when everything got lost. Like, she was in and out of hospital. She wouldn't eat. She just keeps smoking. Then like, when she's in hospital, like, me and my sisters would do everything. Like, And then like, when she came home, we literally said, like, you actually like, need to get better. Do you get me? Like, there's days there, I still see it now. There's days there, like, she'd make the dinner. And she wouldn't eat. So, like, any money that I would have, I'd ask her to bring me downtown to get, like, a top or something. But actually, I'd go down and, like, I'd say, pull into this chipper here. And then I'd get her some dish because, like, I can't, like, walk around all day and know my mother never ate. Do you get me? Like, even if it was, like, my last penny, I'd literally get her some dish. And if she never ate, I'd absolutely be so mad. I'd literally just, I'd lose it. Because I just don't want to see her going in hospital again. And... I remember I was like 16 and like I was like I was old enough to know what's happening you know and like my mother was in the hospital she was in the hospital for like two weeks and I literally um start crying like I had to get carried out of the hospital I was like a girl 16 years of age like you swear something bad happened well it was bad but like you swear something worse happened you get me I was like a big child I was but my mother means everything to me because like at the end of the day, she carried me for nine months. Do you get me? Like, she's my world. I absolutely love her. Like, I do anything for her. And that's a promise. How is she now, Ellen? She's doing, she's doing good. Like, if, like I'd always ask her to get some dish. And, like, I know when she's lying. I was like, don't <laughs> lie. And then, like, if she doesn't eat, I'd make her eat. I'd just say, come on, stop now. This is scandalous. Like, you need to eat. You know? So listen, tell me how the youth centre and Declan and everybody there helped you at that time because that sounded like it was very, very tough. Um, you were having a lot to do, a lot of responsibility. Mm. So did did they support you through that as well? Oh yeah, like I'd come in and like for the youth centre and then Cora and everything, it was kind of hard managing up with all of them. Like I stopped going to youth club for a bit and I stopped going to Cora for a bit but then I came back. And then like 
they like they know something's up. Like you get me, they know something was wrong. Like they're they were there for me from day one. They actually really were like. And they're nice people. I absolutely love them. I really do. They're nice. And listen, tell me about your big dreams, because May Kay talked to you about that in the episode as well. And I love it. You mean, you really have a plan for your life. And that's a lot to do with having linked up with with the the youth centre. So tell tell us about what you want to do. So like, I want to be a beautician, right? Like, at my age, it's actually traveller girls going out there getting married, settling down. Like, why should I do that? Like, I have my whole life to actually settle down, like... Like, I'm 18, I'm 18 years old. Like, why would I want to do that now? So, like, I'm going to, like, I'm in Utridge, Dungarvan Utridge at the moment, doing um, my leaving cert because another way I left school, I never got it done. So I'm in there, and then when I have my leaving cert done, I'll do, like, I'll either go to WIT or it's another course down here to do the beautician stuff. And I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll actually, I want to open up my own business, right? I know it sounds so crazy but it does to me anyway because if a traveler girl heard me saying that they'd be like what is up with you they'd be like stop I'm like oh okay like I just want to you know the way like they expect you like people from your own community expect you to do something and then you do something different they're like what's up with her lads what's she doing and then like I can show them Ellen what you're doing is blazing a trail and what's going to happen is you know, this very cliche thing that we hear all the time. If you can't see it, you won't be it. They're going to yeah. see you doing that and they're going to think, oh, I could do that too. So you're really, it's incredible the influence you're going to have. And I know you have to put up with people sort of wondering what you're doing, but it'll 100%. be worth it because there'll be people out there whose lives will change because they'll see what you're doing. Um, so I, I think that's brilliant. And I hope you keep dreaming big. Susie and Meike and also Ellen come in on this. I just want to talk about the long term effects of the pandemic because I think it's something Susie you spoke very well about it in in the documentary just about we don't know if we'll see it in two years maybe we'll see it in 10 years but there's going to be repercussions and it's important that we talk about that I think. Yeah no definitely I think we are already seeing it um, at the forefront to be honest you know um, we've seen a huge amount of um, risky behaviours and like that just part of that transition like some people going into third level They've barely done a leave insert. They kind of don't even know if they feel like they deserve the place in college. You know, there's that sense of, um, well, I wasn't able for the leave insert. Or will other people think that we're the class that didn't do the leave insert? Does that mean that we don't deserve the place in universities or colleges, you know? And that's really difficult for them. And then, you know, like that will come out in the next few years because if they don't finish their college courses, what will happen? What will be their outcome, you know? And then again, with the younger kids, like... I'm hearing from teachers that there there's some some teachers and they're teaching from like third class to sixth class in sixth class because the levels are so varied. Um, you know, are you know, there's definitely some kids that have fallen behind and even staying back a year might never make the gap because um, again, it's all the other side of education, isn't it? It's grand going in, sitting down, but it's applying themselves while they're in school. It's engaging in the in the conversation or in whatever subject they're doing. And that's really difficult for them, you know, to to apply themselves while they're sitting there. They're thinking, oh, God, there's a load of people around me. I haven't had this many people around me in ages. Oh, they're coughing. Oh, God, I'm going to get COVID. They have all these fears that they never had before. And now that that's that's affecting them being in a space where they can learn. And it's not just the education setting, but, you know, non-formal education as well. There's alternatives. We've definitely seen some young people fall out of mainstream education, like their average secondary school fall into youth reaches and stuff like that, which is great that there is an alternative. But you're kind of going, why was the reason that they didn't stay in mainstream? Was that because of COVID or is it because there's other issues? Um, And like that, waiting even for appointments. If there's a learning difficulty, waiting for an appointment, they've all been pushed out by 12, 18, 24 months. That's going to affect the young person. That's going to affect their lives. That's going to affect the outcome. Um, So like you are talking in five, six, ten years time, who knows what will the aftermath of COVID will be, you know, and, yeah. and now it's on the horizon again, isn't it? There's all this fear about this new variant and, and there, there genuinely is fear, you know, young people, uh, small children, if they if they find out they have it, they're really panicking. Because they're like, oh, I'm not supposed to get this. You know, we've tried so long to stay safe and now I've gotten it. And if I make somebody else sick in the house and so it's 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 tough. Like, Mayke, what about you working on the series? I, I mean, you said earlier about um, the fact that we don't hear from the likes of Ellen or indeed Susie, youth workers as well. What what do you feel like why it's important that we're hearing these voices, particularly now? 
Because they have the solutions. I mean, throughout this series, what you hear from every single young person and every single youth worker, they are the least judgmental, most empathetic people on the planet. So, and that's what we're missing in society. Those preconceptions and judgments of people in disadvantaged areas is what's keeping them, is what's keeping the lid on them and what's keeping them from getting the resources they need. They're amazing, amazing people. Like Ellen talking about other travellers her age, she just wants to do something different. She's not saying they're doing anything wrong. The same with Braxton, Chloe, Olivia, Keane, Farden. They just have their own hopes and dreams the same way as anybody does. And I suppose one thing I heard that was just kind of blew my mind is there's no point in me busting into the Just Ask uh, after school club and giving out a load of football boots if I'm not going to check they have a pitch to play on. So the youth workers like Susie, they're the ones that know. I don't know, but I am listening. And now we're, maybe we're all listening a bit more. And I don't know, Susie, if you, I, I'm asking you this because I don't want to speak on something I don't know about, but I definitely noticed that the young people, they have the vocabulary to talk about mental health way more than even I did when I was younger, you know? It's like they, they know what anxiety is. Does that seem apparent to you? Yeah, I think that's just because there's been such a shift in the general public's kind of perception of mental health and mental wellness. And, you know, I think that that's, that's really good that they're able to identify what their feelings are. Because I know when I was a teenager, I couldn't, you know. Um, but then you're you're trying to find where the balance is, you know, are they are they using it flippantly? Now, and I don't mean that in a bad way, most young people aren't. Um, but you're really just trying to make sure that they when you're when they're saying, Oh, I have anxiety, you're asking them, oh, so what exactly is it that you're feeling? What is it? Is it something in your tummy? Is it in your head? You know, so you're making sure that they're actually putting the name with how the actual feeling is, um, you know, and that's something that youth workers probably do all the time. Sure, it's not like, what's wrong with you? It's like, what happened? Explain to me. How are you feeling about it? You know, and these are the kind of things then that, that kind of lead on then from that because you're responding to the young person then, not anything else. You know, it's entirely about their needs. Um, but I agree with you, Mekhe, they definitely have much better vocabulary. You can thank the schools for that as well. The SPHE programmes, you know, they're really, they're really pushing that forward and all the wellness even in primary schools now is is really bringing it to the forefront and they're able to discuss it more. So it is good that that's there. And I think that's kind of what I mean, Susie, about like the Irish Youth Foundation, why this is really important is that this all obviously is, it can be a bit of a grim conversation because it's a grim thing and we need to face it head on. But there actually are people working really well at improving things, but they don't have enough resources. And I suppose that's the whole point of this. Um, we're not asking everybody else for solutions. The people that have the solutions are right in front of us. We just need to empower them as best we can. Yeah, I think that's really well put. And if there's anyone listening who can get involved, I presume the Youth Foundation are always looking for support. Um, Absolutely. Presumably they get a lot of state funding at some level, but... No. No. No, the Irish Youth Foundation are completely uh, donations-based... That seems shocking to me, given all the, the work that you've done on the documentary in terms of seeing what they actually do. I'm really shocked that there isn't state support. And maybe that's naive of me, Mayke, sorry. <laughs> no, but it means they have complete control over where they, right. they have complete autonomy over where this money goes, because they're the ones like me walking into the Greek Street Flats, you know, which is a deadly place, by the way. And all the kids love it too. Like, you know, there's, they don't say anything bad about the flats. They love it. Braxton even said, you know, he learned about community and respect in the flats. It's just the, the, the infrastructure around it. I mean, you know, I don't need to talk about it, but um, I walk in there and they trust me because I came with the Youth Foundation, you know, um, because Deco in the flat says I'm OK, then they all think I'm OK. And I'm sure, Susie, you have the same with the young people in the hub. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the independence of the Youth Foundation. They get to decide where their money goes. And that's why it's such a brilliant organisation. Yeah. No, thanks very much for that. I want to bring Ellen back in. It's sort of um, related, but not. I love the way you, I mean, the country people thing is funny. I'd never heard that before. And non-travellers. Well, we'll have an awful lot of non-travellers listening um, to this, Ellen. So what I was wondering is, would you say what you'd like non-travellers to understand about your community and about people in the travelling community and what you'd like them to to hear and, and hear from you? Because I do, as we know, there's racism and there's lots of um, negativity towards the travelling community in Ireland. So what would you like non-travellers to understand about you and your community? 
A bit I'd like them to understand is there's good and bad in everyone. There is, not just travellers, not just non-travellers. Um, some of us, like, like, some of us, like, really do want to change it. And there's some people in the travelling community that would love to keep it the same. Do you get me? Yeah. And, like, I just, like, I treat people with respect. Like, I does that, like, my mother taught me that from, like, I don't know how long, to always treat people with respect. And, like, that's, like, meeting you there today now, yeah? And that's, like, me, like, being cheeky now and, like, try to get my point across in a cheeky way. Do you get me? You will get people like that. You will. But, like, no, like, don't paint us all with one brush. Like, everybody has a life. Everybody has problems. Everybody has, like, their own way of living. Like, I don't judge people the way they live. Why should I get judged? I think you know? that's brilliantly put. And actually, everything you've said there could relate to young people from disadvantaged areas too, who I also think get an awful hard time, get dismissed and stereotyped, which is really terrible considering all the creativity and wisdom and experiences that they have to br- teach us, like you've learned, make a, and full of solutions. So maybe final word from each of you about why the documentary was important and what you'd like people to understand about um, how young people need more support at this time, especially after everything they've been through. So Susie, I'll start with you. Final words. So basically, I think the Irish Youth Foundation give organisations like the South Hill Hub and Greek Street and Waterford, they give them the opportunity to, I suppose, make sure young people's voices were heard. And it's so important. It's so, so important that we hear it directly from the young people. We'd never have had the capacity to develop something like this ourselves and then to have it at a national level. It's just absolutely fantastic. And just to reiterate how important it is for the young people and the pockets of funding that we get, they go such a long way. It creates so much fun and engagement from young people. And that's really what they need. Like... You know, after two years of being locked in, we had a summer camp this year and I never smiles all around. Like every day there was smiling teenagers in my face. It was just absolutely amazing. And, you know, you forget that that smile. I There was one young person that we worked with and she went through a really, really hard time this summer. And because she attended summer camp, she was smiling. And I remember actually texting her mum and the bus on the way home going, smiling all day. I can't believe it. And the parent was nearly crying, saying, I can't believe that you've got to smile out of her with everything that's going on. So it's so important, you know, and they're the things that you forget about. They really are, you know, so it's so important. And thanks to the Irish Youth Foundation for, I suppose, even choosing the South Hill Hub to be a part of this. And um, we've been lucky to be a recipient, a recipient of their funding. And it's just, they're just great. I think it's just absolutely fantastic. And the series has been so popular and it's making such an impact that it's, it's really great. I'm delighted. Well, Susie, thank you very much for all the work you do and all your team there as well and in all the, the centres. So, Mayke, what about you? Final thoughts in terms of people listening who might like to engage in a way as well or even just give funds or how can people help? Yeah, well, as I said, um, we're not actually putting a load of pressure on people to get too deep into the solutions and the things. The solutions are there and not only should we be listening to young people and youth workers, we should be taking their lead. They're full of wisdom, full of it. Um, and they're amazing. They have like so many skills that we don't, that I don't have, you know, it's a whole different skill set that they have too. Um, and we need to support them. So if anybody does want to support the Irish Youth Foundation, please go to www.iyf.ie and everything that you need to know is there. Um, and please ask away. You're dealing with the soundest bunch of people possible. So, and help people like Sue. Like when you hear Susie talking about, she can text a parent directly and say, your little one's been smiling all day. Like where else do you find that type of connection? Um, so please let's help people like Susie to get people like Ellen to the dreams that they have and the beauticians that's going to be very successful, I've no doubt. Definitely. I'll be getting my nails done by you, Ellen, if I'm ever down Waterford Way. But final word to you, Ellen, then. You've obviously had a great time meeting May Kay. I loved your conversation and you just seem so smart and so articulate and so clear in your sort of vision for your life now. It's beautiful to see that. So Tell us what it meant to, for you to be part of the documentary as well and what, what your hopes are now for the future. It actually, like, it meant a lot, I'm not going to lie to you. Even though it was just, like, a conversation, 
like a conversation means a lot to me like I'm just trying to explain that like for a traveler girl you don't have to get married young you don't have to like do what other people expect you to do you can actually go and like make a life for yourself you know because like just I'm trying to change like I'm just trying to do what's best for me and I'm trying to encourage other young people to do that not only travelers but like country people too like if they want to open up their own business I'm for it like like I'll be yeah not just travelers but for country people too you know well, listen, Ellen, I hope you'll come back on the women's podcast. Um, you know, I think you'd be a great uh, regular contributor because I think you've a lot to say on lots of things. Uh, if we're ever having a beauty segment as well, I'll get you on because it sounds like you'll be one of one of the experts that we could call on. So thanks a million. And thanks to Susie and Mayke. It's, it's, Mayke, I have to say, it's brilliantly made to everybody involved in the production side because it's just a gorgeous watch and you are brilliant. So I think... I definitely think there's obviously going to be more for you in the old... Uh, I know you've done other voices for ages, but this was a bit of a departure and I hope there's lots more projects for you. What have you got coming up? Well, I'll just stick on this because I just want to say thanks to Dave from the people we meet. Um, I can't start naming everybody else because I'll leave someone out, but um, the whole crew are tagged anywhere that we post the, the, um, the episodes. And again, just like the Irish Youth Foundation, they've also gone and met Susie ahead of time and Declan and Declan ahead of time too. So really by the time I arrive, there have been lovely connections already made. And that genuinely is from these just really incredibly professional, empathetic people that we've been dealing with across the board. So a huge shout out to the whole crew as well for everything that they put into it as well. It wouldn't have been anywhere close to as effective as it's been without them. So yeah, no, I'll, I'll stick on that. <laughs> Well, that's grand. Thank and you, I just Roisin, have to say, for well, going back to the nepotism the thing, um, you're <laughs> definitely a chip off the old block where the journalism comes in there and the questions are so great that you ask. So um, I'm sure your mother is very proud of you as well. <laughs> that's but amazing. Susie and Ellen and Mayke, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll, uh, I'd love to get back in touch with you at some point to find out, you know, how things are maybe in, in a while and see as things have opened up. And hopefully when things are a bit better, how your work is evolving. So let's all keep in touch. And thanks a million. Thank you. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much to Ellen Burke, Susie Cronin and May K. Garrity. You can contact us on social media at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. National Concert Hall is delighted to announce its new concert season for 24-25, featuring over 60 concerts by world-class artists. Enjoy the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra with Sir Simon Rattle, our very own National Symphony Orchestra and guests, opera favourites with Tara Erocht, cutting-edge music with Bryce Desner, family concerts and lots more. Your music, your National Concert Hall. Book now. Package discounts available. cnch.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 